With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. For sure. 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 Welcome to another episode of For Sure, a 200-foot podcast. I'm Peter. And it's me, Jay. Uh, so, breaking news, folks. After over 100 years of existence, the NHL has finally agreed to come up with principles. That's right. The Declaration of Principles by the National Hockey League. Uh, the Players Association and the league have decided to make known their intention and, and, and what the, the what what hockey is and and what it should be and and how to keep everybody in uh pete i'm i'm curious as to what spurred this or as i really want to say why did it take so long to have something like this like thing it almost is like a really it's like a bill of rights sort of for hockey right but it's it's it's, it's executed kind of oddly i mean to only have eight principles i mean you have like five thousand rules, right? So, like, how do you how do you balance those? But um, yeah, yeah. So the, the they announced this whole thing. It's it's got a it's got a preamble and everything. It's almost like the Constitution here. So it's, it says it's the Declaration of Principles. We believe every leader of the sport has the responsibility to inspire stakeholders in an effort to deliver a positive family hockey experience. Hockey participation offers families value beyond making an individual a better player or an even better athlete. The game of hockey is a powerful platform for participants to build character, foster positive values, and develop important life skills. These benefits are available to all players, desirable to every family, and transcend the game. Today, guided by our common values, we jointly pledge to the following principles. Um, Pete. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. As if you were still awake. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. I, uh, yeah, I, I got a little catnap in there. I. Uh, I, I think I think the the, uh, the the part that hooked me right there was was when they said stakeholders. I was like, man, they are speaking my language. They're really talking to the man's man. Is, is what they're getting at. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it, 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 it's like last episode where we talked about the rule change, right? And we talked about like the language and the rule change. Now, now this isn't as bad. I mean, this isn't as kind of clunky, kind of lawyerese. Um, but some of this, some of this stuff, it's. I don't know. I, I I think I agree with what you said before. Where like it came out of nowhere, and I I don't know. Like I don't know if I if I I, I guess what they're trying to do is maybe they are trying to expand upon you know the last few years they've done the hockey is for everyone campaign. Although what makes me hesitant to to believe that this this will make any difference at all is that 
you know, throughout the league, some some teams really seem to embrace the hockey is for everyone. Uh, the the you can play project, you know, is part of the hockey is for everyone initiative, and some teams really seem to embrace it, and like the players seem to go out of their way to promote it and and things like that. And then other teams throughout the league, you know, just from reading articles and you know reading on Twitter and you know from their fan base. Some teams seem to just be like, what's the bare minimum that we have to do to check this box? You know, because that's what we're supposed to do. Yep. And so that's the thing. Like, I think it's kind of the one, once bitten, twice shy thing for me that I need to see. I need to see real concrete action from the NHL consistently for a long period of time before I will buy into them actually really caring about this. I think it's kind of like we, we talked about before. We're going to talk a little bit uh, about the Department of Player Safety in, in, a, in the next segment. But it's kind of like that for me where I want to see action rather than words. And, I mean, I think it's hard to argue with the, you know, with the, the principles that they lay out. It's 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 hard to you know, it's hard to kind of take the other side. Like the first one, hockey should be an enjoyable family experience. I mean, like, I, I don't really know who's going to take the opposition view on that. You know, it's like if you're in debate club, it's like, guess what? You have to say that hockey should not be enjoyable family experience. You have to say that families should suffer from having to <laughs> take their children to the rink and have them play hockey. Um, like a lot of them almost kind of seem like duh like obviously um so i think like for me that's my initial thoughts what about you i am uh, a little because the the article that we read up on this for there there's a quote from from commissioner that i actually was kind of i'm like kind of miffed about because he says uh so batman says the de- the declaration of principles represents the hockey world speaking with one voice our game teaches life lessons that can guide a meaningful future and then he continues to say, while not everyone who plays the game will have an NHL career, every player at every level and the family and friends of every player can enjoy rewarding experiences and share a common commitment to respect the commitment to respect, inclusiveness, and, and sportsmanship. First of all, uh, if I may be allowed to read into this a little bit, uh, douchebag, uh, don't tell anybody that you're not going to have an NHL career. Okay, uh, so what? Every you're like, hey, you can start playing hockey. You're probably not going to have an NHL career, but you can probably still get something out of hockey. It's like, uh, okay, so thanks for shutting one of the biggest doors in my development-ish. I mean, I'm sure you didn't mean it that way, but, again, we're talking about a guy who has no personability and, and can't really relate to humans because he's a robot. So, you know, there's <laughs> there's there's some – that. I, I agree with the spirit of this. I think it's smart to, to kind of get ahead in the game. I mean, this basically sounds like, hey, there's a lot of uh, social issues that um, are, are bleeding over into the uh, cathedral of sport. You know, there's there's a completely separate conversation we can have about, uh, like, what sports is, is, is doing right now. Is it serving a more of an escape when it should be used for more action and – uh, uh, like basically having a better effect on our on our society because I think for the most part right now people you know in, in light of the whole Kaepernick stuff they're they're very upset that the thing that makes them not think of all this stuff is now making them think of that stuff right like geez I I just want to watch a football game so I don't have to hear about uh, jerks but now I have to hear about jerks so 
you know, I, I'm I'm happy the league is is maybe actually trying to do what's right here and being like, okay, um, you know, hockey is for everyone as it should be, and and hopefully this does amplify that signal to everybody, and they and they should do more. And and what's weird is like I, I know organizations and leagues have to craft their language certain ways so as to not get confused and stuff, but sometimes it's stuff that just sounds too manufactured. Like, I'd love to see some heart behind the things that they're saying here. So, I mean, okay, but I, I, I'm, I'm okay with it, but Pete, let's break these down. So you already mm. touched on it, number one. Hockey should be an enjoyable family experience. I don't know where the stakeholder name card yeah. came from. I don't I, I when like when I hear stakeholder, I think of all the guys I hate in New York. So like, am I a guy that I hate in New York? You know, it's kind of an existential crisis that I'm going through with this. But I don't know. I, I think of a dad at a barbecue. <laughs> you know, he's he's a stakeholder. Oh, Pete one J zero. That was good. That was a good one. So it says all stakeholders, organizations, so players, parents, siblings, coaches, referees, volunteers, and rink operators play a role in this effort. Now, we can have our joke argument about how, like, if we were to put all of those things onto a pie chart and who has most of the pie there, you know, we can we can joke about how, like, you know, organizations have pretty much the majority of the pull here, and then players, parents, siblings, a good chunk yeah. of the referees, coaches, volunteers, that just kind of fall in those well, little I think, slivers. I think at the same time, I think, I think one thing to keep in mind is, the way, like, is is that you know this is designed for you know hockey of all levels, you know. So I think obviously professionally, yeah, the organization has the most the most role. Yeah. But you know, if you're talking high, you know, probably like you know, I never really go to any youth hockey, but you know, every now and then I'll go see a high school hockey game, and I think they're like you know parents, you know, uh, you know the parents and the coaches. I think have a much bigger role than they would in professional hockey, you know, in making it be an enjoyable family experience, you know, because you, you know, your, your, your father could be encouraging or he could be yelling at you to murder, you know, the defenseman of the other team, you know, because he hit you or something like that. You know, he checked you. Yep. Um, or uh, even most annoyingly for me, when it says, you know, hockey should be an enjoyable, you know, so that, that makes me think that if I am just a, just a person who's going to watch this game with, with no stake, you know, not a stakeholder, as it were, um, somebody who's just watching the game to, to see a good game, and I have to listen to a parent just consistently yell skate, because if he didn't, his child wouldn't know that that's what you're supposed to do. Like, that distracts me from having an enjoyable experience, yeah. I think. Very true. I, I, stand, I stand corrected. Yeah, if we are applying this as, as, as to hockey as a whole and not necessarily just at, at the highest level, yeah, okay, that makes sense. Um, all right, so, and then number two, hockey's greatest value is the role it plays in the development of character and life skills. Um, I mean, I would say, yeah, but, like, when you get into the, the major league levels of all that stuff, <laughs> A lot of that falls away because now uh, the, the the guys turn into either recluses, they get reckless, they or, or they actually stick to those things. I mean, you got your Subans and 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 you know your your, your Cronwalls with the, like the kids club stuff, and then and then you have some unsavory characters who just kind of lost that uh, thing because they should be uh, good. Uh, at life, and um, so I, I would love to see a rededication from literally everybody <laughs> to number two on this one. It's like, yeah, you're, 
you, you like you get to that level and then you don't stop being a good person. You're supposed to stay a good person. <laughs> good person. Yes, experiences change you. I know I don't live that life right now. Like again, we can have our separate yeah. cast about the lives that professional athletes leave are like far and away night and day different than, you know, you and I recording a podcast, so I'm I'm giving a little bit of a benefit of the doubt. But the difference is the tremendous income, the tremendous access, the the exposure, the uh, times that you have to do commercials and, and be on uh, cereal boxes to remind me how you beat my team last year. You know, there's there's just a lot going on here. But, yeah, I would love to see everybody to continue to develop character and life skills. Do you, Pete? Yeah, I mean, I think that one's kind of a no-brainer. Yeah. Uh, but although while we're, like, in having this conversation, you know, because before we started recording, we were kind of talking about how – you know, we weren't really sure, like, you know, what we were going to do with this. And I think now that we're having this conversation, I think my my biggest criticism of this is that it seems to be – there seems to be a line of demarcation between, like, at a certain level. Like, if you start with youth hockey at the bottom and professional hockey at the top, you know, it seems to be, like, some of these really apply to youth hockey and not professional hockey. Yeah. Like, at all. And, and I think that that's kind of where maybe for me, like my little, you know, spidey sense tingles in terms of like, this seems like BS, you know, because if this were like the declaration of principles for youth hockey, I think that makes a lot more sense. Even, even so, like, I, I do believe that some of these do, you know, should apply to professional hockey. Um, you know, the inclusiveness part, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, so, like you said, some of these, I mean, they clearly are not being treated as important at the professional level. I mean, that's, that's pretty obvious. Yeah. Yeah. Some of these are just, you know, like it, it's, it's, it's a blanket thing, but it's not calling out the people that haven't been doing, haven't been doing it. Right. Like, yeah. So like, so it says, you know, uh, all hockey organizations, regardless of size or level of competition, bring value to players and families and their ability to deliver a positive family experience. So, First of all, the word family is just shoved down your throat in all these things. And it's like, okay, great. So now that you're saying that, you actually have to put some, put some oomph behind it because you, there, there have been some very non-family things that have happened with this sport for a long time. Like you either have like separate little brotherhoods of, of, of who should be where and, and how, you know, like there's like inclusivity is still the biggest issue. So like you can't throw the word family out there and then not include everybody. It's like the Patrick star meme. It's like, why don't you do the thing you said you were going to do? <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, yeah. Like, uh, yeah. So that was number three. And then number four, this is my favorite one because finally the NHL stumbled upon something that no other, no other organization in the history of mankind has ever stumbled upon. Number four, Physical activity is important for a healthy body, mind, and spirit. That's right, folks. Before today, that was not a widely accepted belief. But now that the NHL has firmly <laughs> taken a stance that physical activity is important, I think they're onto something. I, they really are. I mean, they're one, they are one of the more exhaustive sports. So hmm. that that really should be the, the 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 thing we take away from this most is that hey, working out is is good for the body. And, and for the mind and for the spirit. So so that's good. 
But then number five, yeah, the total I, throwaway. It's like, yeah, no, sorry, go ahead, number four. No, 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 just just to go back quickly to what you said before so I don't forget, you know, it makes me, uh, it's like, I, I had to go I had to go back and watch the video of the Gary Bettman announcement and just make sure that he wasn't flanked by uh, Vin Diesel <laughs> uh, with his character from The Fast and the Furious and uh, an Olive Garden breadstick. You know, so basically, you know, when you're here, you're family, which is the most important thing, because it's just family over and over and over and over and over and over again. Right? So, um, yeah, like, like it does feel like like they kind of, you know, like like when they had the meeting to try to figure out what they should do or I mean, let's be honest, this is probably like a year long process, yeah. uh, you know, consisting of many meetings. And then they probably had, a, you know, a giant whiteboard and they're like, OK, family, we need to have family up on there. You know, it like like family. Uh, enjoyable value stakeholders, right? Stakeholders must have been up there. Um, either that, or maybe that's just the way they talk. Yeah, you know, again, it's just their natural are, language. These are uh, rich uh, executive people, and uh, you know, I, I'm I would not be shocked if when you when you become rich, like some sort of uh, 1984 bug attaches to your brainstem, and all of a sudden you can only speak in new speak. So, you know, yeah. that, that 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 could be a thing. Um, so, and then it says, uh, number five, it feels like a kind of throwaway here because you kind of take the focus off hockey because there's like, number five, there are significant benefits of youth participation in multiple sports. See, now they've kind of veered into preamble before a chart that you're going to show about, like, here are the benefits of doing this thing. It's like, you're kind of, okay, where are you going with this? That doesn't, that's not really a, a, a principle. That's just, hey, like, like, can you imagine getting into a fight about somebody about the philosophical, like, good things mm. about the sport and being like, hey, well, there's significant benefits to youth participation in multiple sports. It's like the Futurama thing. <laughs> I have no strong feelings one way or the other. That's what some of these feel like. It's just like they're just saying these things. It's it's masked as taking a stand for something, but it's it's almost not. I, I mean, mean I, I again, I agree with the spirit, but like the execution here, like there's no these. This is just it's just it's it's connects. It's it's Lincoln logs. It's 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 Tinker toys. There's there's nothing beyond it. It's just. Hey, here's eight things that we said, and hopefully they resonate. I, I, I just, ugh. I mean, for, for this one, I think I think what they're going for here is they're trying to say that you know until you get to a certain level, you know, hockey players should should not just focus only on hockey. Which I know as a coach, I, I coach tennis at the high school level, and I know every year when we have our training, I know this is something they talk about. You know, the uh, we have a an Actually, the athletic trainer at my school won a national award this year for athletic trainers. You know, so he's a you know very you know very qualified guy. And this is one of the big things he was talking about is that you know young players, if they specialize in one sport too early, it leads to a lot more injuries because basically they're using the same muscles over and over again. Whereas if you play different sports, you know it's different different muscles are being used and there's different types of like stress on your you know your joints in the body. So that's my my guess there is that the keyword is multiple because the first time when I read that I had the same reaction that was like well duh, but I think I, I think that's what they're saying like and I think they should have done a better job of explaining that. I think if they, they could have added another sentence, it would have made that a lot clearer, I think. Yeah. So, and then, okay, so number six, hockey programs should be age-appropriate for all players, accounting for each individual's physical, emotional, and cognitive development. So that's just another throwaway one where it's like, hey, make sure you play hockey with your skill level. Okay? Yeah. Like, what, 
Why is that something you have to have a press conference about? Like, everybody talks about that all the time. Yeah, of course I'm not going to put my yeah. might hockey player up against, you know, Claude Giroux or, you know, uh, Slavin uh, Kucherov, right? Like, yes, of course. Right. Yeah, play – you can – we are fine with you staying in your lane on this. I don't need to see midgets getting laid out by by Radko Gudis in the corner. It's 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 and yeah, and I mean at the same time, I think I think uh, there's there's some documentary evidence against this. Um, you know, an example of you know a ragtag group of of young players. Um, you know, one person was a street hockey player uh, who you know, could turn the puck on his side and just slam it. You know, they, they went up against Iceland in the uh, the World Hockey Junior, whatever they called it, and they won. You know, so, I mean, they were clearly, I mean, if you look, like, like the other team was clearly about three or four years older at every position um, and probably about 30 to 40 pounds heavier, and yet our team won. So, I don't know. I'm not sure about this one. Yeah, yeah. I mean, first of all, USA, USA. You got to put yeah. that in there. Um Number seven, there's great value in all forms of hockey, both on and off the ice. See, now we're just saying we've we've already we've already just we're just saying things. It's like you're, it's the it's the it's the Heath Ledger Joker thing. I, I'm like a dog chasing yeah. cars. I don't know what I'd do if I got a hold of one. It's like you're just yeah. saying stuff now. And so I, I mean, yes, there is great value in all forms of hockey. I mean, do we want to be the sticklers and say, of course, there's great value. People own teams. People own buildings. People own concession stands. People own yeah. merch ta- merch stores. Like, yes, of course, there's great value. I mean, go the extra step to say why. What is that great value? Don't just say great value like it's the hardware store, right? Like, oh yeah, there's great there is great value in this stuff. Yes, of course, there's great value out. There's value in me not not going to work because I can sleep in. There's value in me filling my gas tank at the beginning of the weekend so I'm not strapped by the Sunday comes around. You know, there's like some of these could be fleshed out and it would be so much more enjoyable, but they aren't. And it, there's just yeah. like, kind of like, it's like, it's just, a, it's like a vision board, right? Like nothing. Yeah. You haven't fleshed anything out yet. And then there's number eight. And then really, in my opinion, Pete, this should have been the entirety of this list. Yes. I was just about to say that. Yes. <laughs> but, so, because everything else is pretty obvious. <laughs> and I think number eight is the only one that I think really needs to be said because there's been examples of it not being true. Right, and the fact that you have to wait till it is at the end of this list doesn't doesn't jive with me at all because I, I, I think that if this – I feel like this is the point that they want to hammer most, and, I, and I'm proud of them for wanting to actually be straightforward and say this because I don't think I've seen too many other leagues come out and say this. But the level of what this is – this should be number one, and then have all of your, you know, uh, waiting room pamphlet facts come after it. But so what's a number eight, what's really should be number one, all hockey programs should provide a safe, positive, and inclusive environment for players and families regardless of race, color, religion, national origin, gender, age, disability, sexual orientation, and socioeconomic status. Put simply, hockey is for everyone. That needs to be number one on this list. And then maybe yeah. everything is forgiven. Maybe I could forgive that one through seven are just kind of a mishmash of like kind of maybe saying the same thing seven different ways. But mm. okay, I'm glad this is in there. Don't get me wrong. It, it, it's not like they completely whiffed on this. But having it as number eight is it, you're burying the lead. <laughs> yeah. That's, 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 and I mean, if you look, it seems like the only one, like you said, it's the only one that's really fleshed out. You know, all the other ones are just like. 
hockey equals good. I mean, they could have just they could have just had like you know Gary Buck Gary Be- I go yeah, Gary Buckman. <laughs> that would actually be like be better. His name is Gary Puckman. Uh, so so you know they could have just had Gary Bettman you know introduce um, you know uh, you know the principal puck. You know, Peter, the principal puck, and he could, you know, do a little dance or whatever, and then he could basically just say, hockey is good, and then they could get to number eight, you know, yeah. <laughs> you know, because everything else is almost like, like, it's not that it's not true, you know, it's not like those other things aren't true, but like most of them are just so obvious that I feel like they, they really don't need to be said, at least in this way that is like, you know, um, you know, I am Martin Luther hammering these declaration of principles, you know, to the, the door of the church. You know, it's like it's not it's not that big a deal. It, it, like, it, it's not as big a deal as they're making it out to be yeah. f- for at least most of these things. Yeah. So, you know, and then it closes out. We believe in our ability to improve lives and strengthen communities globally through hockey. We believe that living these principles will provide a healthy, balanced, and enjoyable experience for all and inspire impactful service beyond the rank. So it's like, and, and it's it just it, there's still just a lot of dangling things there, and and like okay so yes I I if I work in hockey and then I can also work in my community yes those are all things it just it it just seems in some level in some areas they were really snappy when they should have been a little bit more um, uh, expansive and then in other areas they were uh, expansive where they really could have been snappier so mm-hmm. you know. I, Okay, so if this is if this is the first go around for something like this, I mean, okay, sure, fine. But you know, given given where the, where sports are, are are trending and where this sport in particular is trending, like in order to continue growth, yeah, absolutely, you have to you have to show that it that it is for everybody. You know, I I would I would love for hockey to be the pioneer for this particular issue because um, you know baseball isn't really doing anything for it. <laughs> sure as crap, no football's not doing anything for it, and uh, and basketball's just been like like there's been you know some stuff, but not you know not not crazy. So it would be nice if one of the big four could just you know be yeah. straightforward and say, hey, you know this is we want everybody to play this sport because this sport has not only obvious uh, benefits for you know hey you're playing a sport and you want to be competitive and state your you know man was born with a hole in his heart yada yada yada. But also, like, it, it, it brings people together. It does teamwork. I think hockey is the strongest team sport, you know. So, like, I'm surprised they didn't try and hammer that aspect into these Declaration of Principles here because, like, you know, if, you know, what is it, uh, Cory Booker said this, you know, if you want to go far, uh, if, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. So I think hockey, in order to go far, has to go together, and it can't be – it can't, yeah, it, can't, it can't be uh, a non non inclusive. So, you know, I, I think I think for a for the first power play they went on with this, they didn't score. I think maybe they got a lot of good shots on net. You know, they got some good looks, but they weren't able to really hammer it home. So, my hope is that you know maybe somewhere down the line, either they'll just rearrange the order of these, i.e., just put number eight as number one, and then I think you can be pretty pretty good for the rest of the time. So. No, good, good stuff. NHL, good principles or principle, and a bunch of facts. So, we'll we'll see where we go from there. All right. So, speaking of principles, the NHL Department of Player Safety is going to have a new principal, as it were, a new leader uh, has been announced, 
and it is it is somebody who who is familiar with causing damage to other players, sometimes legally, sometimes not. And it is George Peros, right? So the the league has has tapped somebody who has the you know the reputation. I mean, if you look at his uh, his NHL career, 474 games. He he did win a Stanley Cup in 2007 with the Anaheim Ducks. He also accumulated 1,092 career penalty minutes and more than 150 fighting majors. Now, I believe, and we'll double-check on this, uh, and I will correct it if I'm wrong, but I believe he was not suspended. Like, he was never suspended during his NHL career, which is obviously a good thing uh, if you're talking about somebody who is going to be in charge of suspensions. You know, if you have somebody who's suspended all the time, although we do have to remember that Chris Pronger was also in the Department of Player Safety. Yeah. And so I, you know, this, this, this announcement led to a lot of controversy, some hot takery about what type of players, what type, because it makes sense to have former players in this department. It makes, obviously, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Now, maybe not all former players, like it may, might not have to be entirely, you know, made up of former players, but a lot of people, um, and I'll be honest, myself included, were saying, like, what is the message that it sends when we have, you know, George Peros, you know, an enforcer-type player who's going to be in charge of, or, you know, at least a, a, a major voice in the Department of Player Safety. So before I get too much into my thoughts on it, Jay, what, do you, what did you think about this announcement? Uh, I think I had what most people thought, which was we're hiring a thief to tell us if our if our vaults can be broken into, right? You know, mm-hmm. like, right. so, sure. so uh, how do you, how do you, hey, so... In order to test our defenses, we're going to hire one of the guys that took advantage of it most. You know, it's it just seems kind of wishy-washy. But I, I, the more I thought about it, I'd like to think that you know he's he. If I remember correctly, he went to Princeton. So like maybe with like yes. an, so with an Ivy League uh, uh, education, maybe he can offer a little bit of of good in this department because I what I, I think I, I forget which article I was reading in, but. It was basically saying, like, having a player like Peros could be beneficial because I think right now the biggest problem player safety has is judging intent because I think there's just too many gray areas. Oh, I didn't see him. Oh, it was so fast. Oh, I don't remember, right? Like, if you have a guy who's used those excuses before and can maybe tell if someone's being genuine or just trying to avoid sitting, I think Mm. there's some value in that. Right, so I was I was like kind of like huh at first, but you know I've I'm kind of okay with it now. You know, I, I just again I'm I'm curious as to what like the situation would be if the NHL gets burned on this. Like what? Like so let's say like like maybe if there's let's say Cronwall does one last great Cronwalling and mm-hmm. you know it was the, and let's say it's determined that it was like vicious or whatever, and then Peros. But, like, the other guy's gravely injured somehow or is out for the season or whatever. So, like, people are expecting player safety to hand down something, which is what the case is now. People's expectations versus what player safety hands down. And, you know, think of all the areas that they've touched up, right? You know, if it's embellishment, you know, your first offense, you get this amount. Another offense, you get a higher amount, da, da, da. So what are we doing to de- to deter people from doing dirty plays and, and, and injuring other players and – and if Peros, his ability to have been responsible for some of that firsthand, 
helps that department embrace a little bit more of a harsher ban hammer, as it were, I, I, I can be for it. But, again, we have to see how it goes. I, I think whatever the first infraction that comes across this table is obviously going to be the litmus test for how, how the Department of Player Safety will move forward. I mean, my personal thing is I would love to see more, more suspensions and more um, and maybe harsher fines. I mean, again, uh, th- this was just this last season. Um, uh, Marshand hooked or, or speared or, or it was a dirty play against a, a Red Wing player, and he got fined like, I think like... It was a slew foot. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was a slew foot, right? So I think he was fined what, like, was it 10K or something? It was It was a... It was a ludicrously small amount, and then cut forward to the All-Star game, the three-on-three stuff, and I remember tweeting like, hey, remember, if Marshan's, if the team, you know, if, the, what is it, the Atlantic wins, it's like Marshan never had, not only gets return on the fee that he just had, to, the fine that he just had to pay, he gets like a super bonus for just playing hockey. So it's, there's a lot of, there's it's a really... Okay, I'm sad I have to say it this, and I don't mean it as a pun, but it's a slippery slope. I mean, the game is played on ice, yeah. so inherently it's slippery. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. But, uh, but the game is not played on a slope, so there you go. Yeah. True, true. But, I mean, on the one hand, the, the, the fines are determined by the CBA. So I, I do agree with you that the fines are ludicrous, but the Department of Player Safety yeah, basically has nothing to do with that. Like, yeah, they're just enforcing yeah, right. the CBA. Um, but I do, I do agree with you that I think that the, you know, my biggest problem has always been the level of consistency and the amount that the punishment acts as a deterrence, because I think that it's ridiculously like, like they're ridiculously awful in actually deterring people from future acts. And I think you know, you have to you have to be a repeat offender many times before you start to get to a level of suspension that might make you think twice about doing something. And I think that's a big problem. At the at the bottom of the Sportsnet article that announces this is is the reason why I I'm really against this. And you know, like I said, I mean, I I, I don't really have anything against Peros. Um, I've been trying to find confirmation of this. I, I'm almost positive I read it that you know he hadn't been suspended by the league, which is you know that that's you know so he was a fighter, but you know he didn't cross the line at least that you know often enough to be suspended for it. But you know you think you had you know Chris Pronger was the, was in the Department of Player Safety, which to me is an absolute joke yep. because him him being in anything that involves the words safety and players, I think is is one of the most ironic things that's happened in <laughs> hockey recently. And then it says, you know, so Pronger's leaving. He's going to the Florida Panthers. Um, and it says, it is believed the newly retired Shane Doan is among the candidates for that spot. I mean, it's an absolute joke. Like, I can understand <laughs> having, having you know, a, a variety of former players, including somebody who was kind of like a tough guy type player. I get that. But I think I read a Wyshynski article when this happened. And, you know, with Wyshynski, with Greg Wyshynski, I kind of go back and forth. Like, I, I do like him. I, I like him as, like, kind of like the character that he plays, you know, like his personality. Yeah. Um, I like listening to him. You know, I, 
you know, I, I don't always agree with him. I think I'm, I'm usually about 50-50 in terms of agreeing with him. But this is the one time that I can remember that I really wholeheartedly disagreed. Because he said something like, you know, what do you want? You know, do you want somebody like Paul Correa to be in charge? And I said, yes. Yes, I do. You know, because I want somebody who has felt the results of these plays intimately. You know, somebody whose career has been affected by this. You know, somebody who has had to miss time because of the actions of another player, you know, like a Mark Savard, you know, whose career was ended by Matt Cook. You know, I want somebody like that to have a, maybe not to be the leader, but I want somebody to be a prominent voice in that organization because, you know, on this show we don't don't talk about politics, but I'm going to use a quick example, like a quick general example that I think kind of gets the point across is, you know, how often do you see a politician, and it doesn't have to be from one party or the other, who is for – you know, for or against a position, and then he or she comes out and they've they've totally changed their mind, and it's because a family member, a son or a daughter or whatever, has been impacted by this this um, you know this issue. And I always think like your job is to be empathetic. Like your job is to realize that your point of view is not the only one, and that other people have different experiences. And so your job is to try to. Think you know, put yourself in other people's shoes and imagine what it could be like. And it shouldn't take a family member, like it shouldn't take having it be shoved in your face to experience, you know, to understand that. And so I think that the Department of Player Safety has to have at least one strong viewpoint of somebody who has really felt this, because it's, it, it seems like the the players who haven't don't really like they're not really able to grasp like how important this is. At least that's that's the way I look at it. I, I agree. Uh, you that is a problem, that, and it's not. And it's, and it's also just not a politics thing. I think it's just a, a problem in general. Or just there's there's a lack sure. of a, yeah. a lack of empathy, and there's just there's too many people in prominent positions who only spring into action when it directly affects them. Like that's the complete opposite of what that office is supposed to be. Like you don't get into that office so you can separate yourself from the people you're supposed to serve. You go there because you're there to serve them. You're supposed to help make their lives better. That's why we that's why, that's why we do all this in the first place. That's why there's a Department of Player Safety in the first place. The idea is that you want guys to be playing at their top level and you want to you know weed out any uh ne'er-do-wells to uh to to ensure that you know again the the sport itself has changed. I mean, hey, like you I I will raise my hand. I love watching old videos of Scott Stevens murder people, but, I, oh, but, I, but yeah. I'm now objectively able to look back at those and be like, yeah, that was probably cool back then, but like, man, it stinks that we just didn't have enough foresight to realize that that stuff's going to come back to bite everybody, like everybody, you know, and and in different ways, and obviously at different levels, you know, like when we're talking about play, in terms of navigating around the players whose careers have been so heavily affected by these issues. I mean, you almost have to, it sucks, but you have to tip the cap to the NHL sometimes on how they've been able to avoid really, like, it's just been, it's just been one decent break for another because it's never really been that big of an issue. Like, let's, like, what if someone completely laid into Gretzky and he, like, like lost feeling below the waist, right? Like, you could, you, like, is it, is that the type of thing that's that we're waiting for to have some sort of demonstrative action being taken to tell people don't do the dangerous thing? You know, it's just yeah. the, the more that they don't take a stand or the more that they're 
kind of wishy-washy in the gray area, the more they're not going to be able to rebound from uh, a something like that because you just let them creep in and just, you know, it's, it's, it's tough. It's really tough to, 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 to be able to judge the difference between, Hey, uh, this was intentional or not intentional. So obviously the more that we can do in that department to, to, to more accurately define those things, then you can take those suspensions. Then you can hand out those punishments more accurately. And then maybe the culture will change, but this goes back to our previous segment. We need action. <laughs> you need yeah. to do something. So, Peros, I hope to the Lord above that you uh, grow your handlebar out and be the player safety on this because nothing would please me more than tuning into your suspension videos, much like Shanny back in the day, because I would love to see those come back out. He just kind of walked, mm-hmm. I have Peros walk in and be like, hey, so. Uh, some shit happened the other night. We got to go over it. So, uh, you know, yeah, this this guy ran in here. Yeah, you, you can't do that. You, you just can't. Uh, you know, is it, the, the rule stipulates this. I mean, we already know the rule. We don't have to. Oh, we're going to show the card? Okay, well, let's show, yeah, let's show the card. Yeah, da, 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 da. So, you know, it, I, I, I was iffy at first, but I think I'm more on board because maybe you have some, but I definitely agree. You need to have yeah. you know, either a, a Korea a uh, Savard, a uh, heck, even Lindros too. Like, just assemble a Justice League of <laughs> of people who've been on the wrong side of of these hits, and say, hey, here's how this is affected. Because uh, you know, you need that that Kirk Spock thing, right? Like, you need to have the alternatives. You need to have all of the scenarios looked at before you take action. And hopefully, this is a sign of we'll get we'll get that. Yeah, I mean, uh, to wrap up the segment, I'm just going to say that I think that, first of all, I really do, I really do hope that George Peros does a good job because I want to see, I want to see that department be effective. So I, as, as much as I, I think that this is a bad decision at the very least in terms of like optically, I, I do really hope that he does a good job. Um, so I'm going to say that. But also, uh, if, if I may make a suggestion, if anybody from the NHL is listening, that I think that they should really play on his, his Princeton education, and he should come out there and be like, all right, so player A, if you will, is the object in motion. Now, he would like to stay in motion um, unless he is met by an equal and opposite force, and that was, oh, my God, that was this guy's elbow. You know, and like, like <laughs> I would really like to see that. At least it would make him a little bit more interesting and maybe – Maybe educational. So good luck, George Peros. It seems like both of us are rooting for you. I, I would very much like to be proven wrong about thinking that this is a bad idea. Our interview uh, guest today is Kate Fries. She is a professional photographer based out of Philadelphia. She specializes in sports photography, uh, especially ice hockey, which is how I came to see her uh, her pictures. I saw some. I saw, I saw her work for. Uh, uh, covering the Philadelphia Flyers, uh, and I was really impressed, so I definitely kept her on the list of people I wanted to, to have on the show. So she has, she also has a BFA in photography, so if you go on her website, which we will plug now, we'll plug at the end too, it's katefreeze.com, which is K-A-T-E-F-R-E-S-E.com. If you go on there, you'll see that in addition to hockey, she has many different other types of photography, uh, fine art stuff, um, music stuff, other different types of sports, um, and there's a lot of really cool stuff on there. So, so Kate, thanks for coming on the show. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Thank you. 
Awesome. I'm going to start off with, I'm going to go away from hockey and then we'll come back to it just because I want to make sure I get to this question. So Uh um, before we did this interview, like the last couple of days, I've been chatting with you a little bit uh, and I found out that you like Twin Peaks and I was looking through your (laughs) website. I was looking through your website Uh and I was struck by how some of the photos like would not have been out of place in this latest season. So Mm -hmm. is... Is David Lynch a visual inspiration of yours? Uh, like, like who inspires you visually? Oh my gosh, absolutely! So for my um, BFA, a lot of probably what you saw was in my fine art uh, category, my website, right? That yeah. stuff. Yeah. So that um, I'm a big like horror movie, sci-fi fan, and when I was going through my uh, my undergrad. I kind of wanted to create something that I was um, using my inspiration from my favorite TV shows and movies, and that just happens. David Lynch is a big inspiration for me, um, Al- Al- Alfred Hitchcock, um, and there's other photographers that kind of have that spooky kind of style. So, yeah, I did my, my senior thesis was these pictures of houses at night, just like super kind of creepy, um, all just lit naturally with whatever, like street lights or whatever were available, and yeah, I took a lot of inspiration from that. It's cool you picked up on it. Yeah, like one of those, uh, actually, there, there were two two photos that, that definitely, like, struck me. There was the one, um, I forget which one of the collections, but it's the one of, like, the gas station at night in black and white. And yeah. it, it made me think of, like, episode eight uh, that was largely in black and white. Uh, uh-huh. And, uh-huh. and then there was another one, there was a picture, and I was like, like it looked like it would have been a, a, like, a, like a way that he would have framed like Sarah Palmer's house, you know, like when they uh-huh. showed the exterior shot of that. So I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. Awesome. Oh, cool. Yeah, that's, that's cool you picked up on that. Um, yeah, it was, it was weird because um, I actually got these like, these creeped out, like weird feelings being out at night by myself taking these pictures. The kind of the same feeling that I get when I watch these like TV shows and like spooky movies and stuff like that. So it was, it was interesting to uh, kind of like be in like a real life version of the TV shows and like movies that I love. So cool you picked up on that. Good for you. Awesome. I am I am completely content with this no longer being a hockey discussion and we just go into the finer <laughs> points. Of, oh, uh, I was not prepared for that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I'm, I'm all for it. I mean, you've already said all of the, yeah. the, the buzzwords to now now we've – I don't even – Pete, what were our other topics today? Can we just call it audible and just fill the rest of the Here, I want to talk to you about Rear Window. Let's talk (laughs) – Oh, Oh, my gosh. That's one of my favorite Hitchcock – that is – yeah, that's one of the biggest inspirations for my thesis was that movie. I mean, obviously, I'm, like, creeping all these people's houses. I didn't know any of these people. Like, I'm just rolling up to their houses and totally, like, being a creep and taking pictures of it. Like, me with my camera at night, like – I actually had one instance where I was out shooting. I was – because I'm dumb and I go by myself. Why would I be smart about it? And I'm, and someone caught me. So I'm in the middle of like doing multiple exposures to kind of get the right, you know, the, what I feel is right. And someone like opened the window and I was like, I was, I was so mad at myself. I was too freaked out and like dove behind a bush instead of kept shooting. I'm like, dang it. That would have been like such a cool picture. But, but yeah, yeah. Good, good movie. Well, that's, that's funny because I can only imagine like when you're, hopefully that experience didn't scar you because, I would imagine being right on the uh, boards through the awesome uh, classic photographer's hole and, like, a second a hockey player makes eye contact with you, you, like, dive yeah. in the hole. 
Yeah. You know? Oh, yeah. <laughs> wait, wait, this is my job. He's supposed to see me. All right, fine. Oh, my God. Wayne Simmons saw me. Oh, no. <laughs> well, yeah, no, it's, it's super weird because, like, um, for the first couple of seasons that I was shooting, I was like, it was weird. I was like, I'm such a fan. Like, how do I keep this fandom and the fact that I have, like, weird social anxiety, like, and not have that come out. Like, I'm going to be awkward. And, like, I had so many awkward situations with players just, like, being my stupid self. And, um, yeah, it, it is kind of – it's weird. But I'm just like, yeah, this is – oh, yeah, it is my job. Like, you know, if they see me and notice me, whatever. I mean, the, the players know me. I've been there for I, this is either my sixth or seventh season. They know me. They know who I am. Like, I've talked to a couple of them, you know, just exchanging pictures and stuff like that um, that I've taken of them. And – but yeah, it's still weird. It's like, oh my god, don't look at me, please. Like, don't notice me. I'm just want to. I just want to take pictures and do my job. You know, like, <laughs> funny. Um, all right, so Kate, I, I was as a as a photographer myself. I mean, you know, I've I've browsed your portfolio and uh, and I feel shame because I just I feel like I have so oh, much no. so much so much further to go. But um, I, I want to ask you, like, in in terms of shooting hockey, like. Do you take, like, a Gretzky uh, uh, mentality into it? It's like, don't go where the action is. Go where the action is going to be. And, and or like, have, so, like, do you have, like, I feel like, I mean, I was looking over your, your stuff, and it's like you kind of almost have to have a little bit of a precog, uh, like, foreseeing seconds into the future instinct to be like, okay, so the puck's going that way. I should be already looking that way and not just following it. So, like, do you do, like, is how do you practice that? Or do you just literally, is it just a reflex for you now? Um, well, for me, it's, it's kind of a reflex. It's natural. Um, I feel, I mean, it's, it can be with any subject. You have to know what you're shooting. Like, I've been a hockey fan, you know, since I was pretty young, like back in the 90s, um, you know, watching Lindros and stuff. I've been a hockey fan for a while, so I know the sport. I've been watching it. It's like it's an obsession for me. So I am kind of able to predict, like, where the puck's going to go, where the action is going to be. Um, and you really have to anticipate it. I mean, you have to have fast reaction and, and also kind of know, like, what they're going to do. I mean, part of it also is kind of being lucky and just having to have your, like, lens focus on the right spot to catch a, a weird, you know, kind of off, like, Kodak moment or something. But you you have to know the, the, sh the subject that you're shooting. I... I had a friend who came in and started doing the flyers, and he covered mostly, like, NASCAR and football and soccer. And, the, like, that's what he liked. And he came into hockey not really being a hockey fan, and really, he really struggled. And I had to kind of help, you know, teach him. I, my biggest thing for him, he was just like, you know, what should I focus on? I was like, honestly, start watching hockey games. Like, get oh, yeah. to know these players, get to know the game. Because he didn't even know, like, what offsides was. He's like, why do they keep blowing the whistle, like, when they cross <laughs> this line? I was like, oh, buddy, like, you're in for a root. Like, you don't know anything. <laughs> oh, my God. And so, yeah, like, it was – he struggled for a few seasons now. And he was just like, thank you for telling me to watch it because I, I understand it now and I can anticipate these, like, these moments. And I was like, well, you know – yeah, good, good. And because, I mean, I've had sports that I've covered that I, you know, didn't really know much about. I covered a couple ultimate Frisbee games, not knowing what the heck that was. But, you know, and I learned my lesson. I was just like, I had no idea what was going on. I still really don't even understand it. But I, you don't see me shooting a lot of ultimate Frisbee anymore for that kind of reason. Um, but, yeah, it's just knowing what you shoot. And, honestly, like, you know, experience is a lot of it, too. Uh, there is a... 
wonderful photographer, who's Henry Cartier-Bresson, who said, your first 10,000 pictures are going to be your worst. And that is so true. Like, mm. you know, you just have to keep plugging away. And it's like you kind of fall into a niche when you can uh, – you can kind of anticipate what's happening. People, a lot of people, well, some people don't know that um, I watch a lot of hockey. Like, I'm constantly studying a lot of these players on other teams, too, so I can anticipate how, like, it's going to kind of play out. I know the Flyers. I know their style. I know, you know, who's going to do what kind of. But I also watch um, the opponents kind of getting ready for a game to kind of know, like, who to focus on that, you know, and it helps, but I know not a lot of photographers kind of take that extra initiative. I, I know I'm kind of a weirdo when it comes to that, but I have, like, you know, a list of people that I'm focusing on during a game that, you know, I've been studying and kind of, you know, I, I'm kind of crazy with it, but that that's just me. <laughs> well, I mean, I have to say you are already helping me become a better photographer because just oh, in the last, like, minutes since you've been talking, I have taken my iPhone out and I've just been clicking the, the shutter on the camera and I think I've already got up to about 500, so I'm, 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 yeah. I'm getting there. I'm getting there. But, um, so I have, a, I have a follow-up to what you said because actually, like, like uh, Jay and I kind of both prepare a list of questions and the, la- the one that he asked you was, was one I was thinking of too. Um, so my question is how often, because I was going to say, does it happen? I'm sure it happens probably fairly often, but how often does it happen that you have like a, like a near miss? Like you like, like oh you're just a little late or you're just out of position. You're like, Oh my God, Ugh. that would have been the perfect shot. Cause I, I'm imagining it happens Ugh. a lot. This is stuff <laughs> I lose sleep over. Um, because, and it's going to happen. So like, and at first I used to really kind of beat myself up over stuff like, you know, and it'll just be, I've gotten to the point that I pretty much, this sounds cocky, but I pretty much, I capture everything, whether it's in focus or framed well, you know, it's not always. Um, I actually did this really cool video where I was shooting um, an alumni game in Reading, Pennsylvania at the Royals Arena. Uh, I was shooting from the bench, and I strapped my GoPro camera to the top of my um, my actual my camera my DSLR, and I recorded, like, the video of me shooting, and one of the set parts of that segment is um, something funny happened on the ice. I think, like, Holmgren, like, checked someone, was just, like, laughing about it, and I was just, like, you hear me in the video, like, oh, my God, let that be in focus. And it ended up not being, it ended up not being in focus, of course, as I'm, like, on video. But that happens, I mean, and you can either, like, beat yourself up over it and let it kind of like ruin your game. Or you can just be like, eh, whatever. I'll just get something better next time. But it does happen a lot. It happens to every photographer. And it's also part of the reason why we shoot on um, like multiple frames per second. Cause hopefully, you know, maybe like the lens will be off, you know, on one, it'll be out of focus. Maybe the next frame will hopefully be in focus. It's something you can work with, but yeah, it, it happens. I mean, I'm not perfect. I will admit that, you know, but eh, what are you going to do? You just have to keep shooting, you know? So since the photography world is almost uh, catching up in speed to, like, the mobile technical world and, and like, just in terms of your equipment, I mean, have, have, you, have you found your, uh, your flux capacitor, your, uh, like, your go-to piece, and are you just going to try and stick with it as long as possible? Or, like, do you, is, is there, like, a – because for me, like, I, I haven't had, like, a, a, a traditional still slash digital point-and-shoot for – Longest time because I, I work in social media and it's and it's entirely beneficial to be able to shoot with my phone and then just instantly mm-hmm. you know tweet it around yeah. there. So, but as you know, primarily your end of photography stuff. I mean, like, 
like is 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 it fast like I guess my question is, is your camera pretty cool? Do you like your camera? Do you think you're going to get another camera soon? Like, like how often do you stick with something? Or are there, like, do you jump between, like, do you have, like, multiple different things you like to use? Or? I, so, um, the, whole, the whole time I've been doing this, I'm kind of working with what I got. I mean, I, there's definitely better cameras out that I wish I could have. I mean, like my, my camera set up okay, but it could be a lot better. It's nowhere near like, you know, someone like Getty or AP or USA Today Sports is using. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, I, I just kind of work with what I got. I, I shoot with a, so I shoot with two bodies. Um, and mostly just along the glass is when I'm using both of them at the same time. But I have a full-frame camera, and then I have my 70 to 200 um, on that, and that's my long lens. And then I have um, a couple wider angles that I'll use on my second body when I'm shooting, you know, ice level. And those are a, I think it's a 24 to 70 and a 10-millimeter fisheye, which I try not to use too much. But um, And they're all, like, uh, aperture 2.8, so they're, they're pretty fast lenses. Um, and I'm happy with what I have, you know, but there's always having my eyes in like a, like a kind of wish list that you could probably buy a car or a house with, um, yeah. with the amount of money I'd want to, want to spend. But, you know, I'm, I'm happy with what I have. I, I just make the best of what I got, you know. Well, again, that's, I mean, that's the, that's literally the riddle of steel. It's not how strong the sword is. It's the, as strong as the hand that wields it. So, you know, mm-hmm. you've got, um, again, Pete and I have looked over your portfolio and stuff and, and, you know, it's, it's, it's not like you, you, I would almost imagine you could be shooting that on a 24 hour Kodak that you pick up at CVS and like, yeah, every, mm-hmm. everything looks great. You know, when you just, you bring your, your craft to, uh, to the equipment and then, you know, people will just be like, wow, wow, you must have like a, you know, a couple of, you know, the, like the high five figure setups. And you're like, yep, absolutely I do. That's the only way you can have stuff look good is if you spend all that money. Yeah, oh, it's so true. It's so true because like I, so I used to um, work in Aberdeen, Maryland at the Ripken Center shooting youth baseball. And I would see these uh, baseball moms come in and have nicer cameras than I do. But they're just like, they have the money for it. And they just like, you know, I know it's just like a hobby for them, but it's like, you know, it really gear is part of it. But honestly, like, you know, how good of a photographer you are and how good you are at what you do is, in my opinion, more important than the gear. I mean, yeah, you know, I'm I'm probably not going to be taking like a little like disposable camera with me, although I kind of want to now to see what would happen. <laughs> but um, <laughs> that's that's an idea. But uh I've actually shot film. So um, at the alumni game that was last season that was at the Wells Fargo, I took I took two of my film cameras with me because I was just like, I want to shoot these old dudes with an old camera and just kind of feel mm. like maybe I was, like, shooting them, you know, when they were in their prime and stuff like that. So I was using films that, you know, the, the photographers of that time were using. It was, it was hard. Holy crap. Yeah. Like, I, I <laughs> couldn't wrap my head around it, but... That's a whole other story. So yeah. 
Yeah, so um, some of my favorite hockey memories. Uh, I grew up in I grew up in Connecticut. I grew up an Islanders fan. Cool. And I, you know, so some of my favorite favorite hockey memories are going to Nassau Coliseum with my dad. Uh, yeah. You know, getting there early, and at Nassau Coliseum they let you go right down to the glass. Like if you go down the right, and if, like you don't even need the correct ticket. Like like they'll just let anybody uh-huh. in to go watch the warmups. So what advice do you have for a fan? Um, you know, going to a game, they want to try to get a good picture of warm-ups or something like that. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe they're using their phone camera. You know, so kind of like we were talking about before, like, you know, so how can they kind of make the most of what they have to get, you know, a really good, um, either like a really good action shot or a really good, mm-hmm. you know, picture to help them kind of remember that experience? Yeah, so definitely like warm-ups are a great opportunity because the Wells Fargo is like that too. Um, You know, everyone just packs by the glass and watches, you know, the the players warming up and stuff. They can do that too. So I actually know a couple uh, fans that they bring their cameras because – there's, I mean, some arenas have uh, certain lens restrictions if you don't have a media pass. So, and that's typically wider. You can bring wider lenses. That's what they allow. So your only opportunity is to really – um, shoot a lot during warm-ups and kind of like, you know, get the cool action shots or candid then or biting the biting the bullet and buying a really expensive uh, ticket and shooting um, from, you know, the glass level the whole game if you can afford, you know, getting something ice level. I could never. This is like this whole opportunity is like me being able to watch games for free at ice level when I, I can never afford that. Um but anyway, yeah, so and also a lot of teams, uh, their, some of their practices are open or things like right now going on camps are open to the public. And you can um, bring your cameras to that, and that's a really good opportunity to kind of uh, practice and get some really cool shots, you know, without having to spend, I mean, any money in that instance. That's what uh, some of my friends do is say they were shooting. Uh, they're at camp right now. I'm, I'm not. But uh, they take their camera and they just say that's what they like to do. It's it's a hobby for them, and they just you know hang out at practice and take pictures, and it's ha- they're happy doing that. So yeah. Cool. So just like a quick follow up. So like if they're you know they're trying to take like some some action shots for warmups. Like mm-hmm. what what situations on the ice should they be looking for that would kind of lead to to a, a better chance of getting a good photo? So if you're shooting through the glass, it is um, which you know. They, they wouldn't – typically in most arenas, they would not have fans allow them access to shoot through a, a shooting hole. That's a no-no. Um, right. So you're going to be shooting through the glass. So your best – like, you, you need to be careful with your positioning. So you can either be right behind the net, kind of off to the side, and your lens has to kind of be um, parallel to the glass because if you kind of move it too far to the left or right, it's going to be out of focus um, just mm. because of distortion from the glass. So either right behind the net or kind of off to the side, you can get some really cool stuff, like um, depending on if the player's left or right-handed, like shooting at the net, you know, from a nice side angle instead of like straight on. So those are kind of your your best bet. Um, sometimes some people can get on the bench during warm-ups. I don't know if they're allowed to bring their ca- – I think they can bring cameras then, but that's only in certain arenas, and I think you have to be like a season ticket holder or something. And that's a great opportunity because you can just fire away. You have no uh, <laughs> no glass in your way. So um, I would – I've actually shot games from the bench, and it's so freaking fun and terrifying. Um, <laughs> but, but, yeah, so you want to be right behind the net or either to the side, and you're, you kind of have to just – wait for something to come in front of you because you can't, like I said, you can't tilt that lens or it's going to be um, out of focus. Yeah. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Well, all right, Kate. So uh, 
this is something that I've been wanting to ask a, a photographer for a long time because I've I've seen hockey players answer this question, and I've always think like you know this question is is something that I think should be asked to to literally any profession. What was your I know I can do this moment? Like some goalies need that one game where they just completely stand on their head. We're like, okay, I can play hockey. You know, like so. Like, was do you have a specific moment or or a, or, a, or a event where like you you looked at the game film literally or figuratively and you're like, you know what, I can take some pretty effing good pictures here. Yeah. Um. So I like. Let me think about this, man. I I started out doing sports photography in a way that most people don't. Um. A lot of people have to kind of start uh, playing around at like youth or high school games and then kind of work their way up to NCAA and then like the pros and kind of um, go through that route. I started out shooting pro sports. I, you know, was offered an internship and I was thrown right into it. And um, so I remember uh, being asked to shoot my first Flyers game for this magazine. And I was like, oh, God, I've never done this before. Thank God I at least know the game. But um, I guess it was my first. It wasn't really even the first time that I did it. I think it was the first season. So the magazine folded, and then I was like, oh, no, I can't shoot hockey anymore. And then I actually had a blog hit me up, and they're just like, you want to take pictures for us? Like, we can get you into all the home games. I'm like, uh, sign me up. Uh, so, yeah. Um, yeah, so my first season that I I was able to, you know, I was living in Lancaster at the time um, where I'm from, and I was commuting out to games. I was going to as many home games as I could get to. And that first season, I was just watching my, as I got more experience, experienced and just shooting more, shooting more, I, I started to see my pictures really evolve. And I was just like, this is it. Like, this is what I'm going for. So my whole focus ever since I kind of had that moment that, like, a second season I was shooting the Flyers, and I was just like, this is what I'm going for. I'm all in. Like, you know, this is my dream, and I have access. Like, I'm in. Like, that's one of the hardest things is getting your foot in the door, and I had that for me. So now it's just a matter of time of me, you know, shooting more and networking, and, you know, my, my dream job is to be a team photographer. So I'm just, you know, plugging away at that. But, yeah, definitely definitely the first season that I had uh, full access to all home games where I was just like, yeah, this is it. I'm happy. Nothing else makes me happier in the world. I'm going to do it, and it's been several seasons since then and I'm I, I can't I couldn't be happier so nice yeah it, it seems like you you know you're on your way to doing that you know you're on your way yeah. you're building up your experience so that's really awesome um I I wanted to go I wanted to go to our our reader questions we only have yeah. we have two we only have two but they're good they're really good ones mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. the first one is from from JJ from our site and oh JJ so, yeah yeah. So I've learned in past episodes that if I try to summarize a question, that I end up making it like three times as long. So I'm just gonna I'm just gonna read it. Um, okay. All right. So. So, so the first part is this, and it's, it's basically he it kind of explains what he's looking for in the second part. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. uh, between innate talents and what you've been taught, how do you feel it breaks down for um, – for how well you're able to capture your hockey pictures so vibrantly, right? So that last part is the key because he says, I'm kind mm -hmm. of a photography rube, but I do believe in the whole I know art when I, see, when I see it. And your photos have always stood out to me among the Getty USA Today pictures, you know, because we have to, you know, look through those for article mm -hmm. pictures for our, right. our, our site. And then he says, uh, especially in, like, how you make the subjects pop. Um, you know, so like how you make the subject stand out. Cause I, I agree with that. Mm -hmm. I think I, I see the same thing too. So, Thank so you. how do you do that? Like, like, what do you do? What do you do to make that happen? 
Um, I'm not going to give all my secrets away, but I'll... Yeah, I, mean, I was wondering, I was wondering <laughs> when you were like, so, so what are fans looking for to get the portfolio? I'm like, are we putting her out of a job? Should we really... Yeah, you totally are. Yeah. Yeah, okay, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, sorry, go on, go on. You're sitting back, you're sitting back there with your pen and paper like, uh-huh, uh-huh, tell me more. <laughs> yeah. um, okay, but, plutonium. So, and... Yeah, yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> so, um, I don't know, it's... I was like, I've been like thinking about every since, like, you know, I've been thinking about this question. Um, so what I, it, it's, it's kind of unique to me. So what I do with my, how I shoot my shooting style and my processing style is I'm trying to recreate how I see hockey. And to me, like, especially in the Wells Fargo Center, I don't know if you guys have been there, but it's like a couple of seasons ago, like they got these, like the lights are bright. It's high energy. It's in your face. You know, and it's even sometimes emotional, and, like, that's how I see hockey. So how I choose to process my pictures is, like, how I see it and how, like, I want to kind of project the sport because, you know, it's, it, it means so much to me. And another thing with, with the colors specifically, so um, not everyone has this, but I'm one of those freaks of nature where I see color perfectly in the sense that I'm able to perfectly color balance a picture. Not everyone has that. Some people have, you know, a certain bias uh, towards one color or another when they're trying to white balance. And that's when you see some pictures that are like, eh, that looks like a little yellow. Like, why does the ice look like someone peed on it? Or like, yeah. you know, something a little like magenta or green or something. Um, but oh, man, Sean Avery's at it again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, it could... It could, it could either be like, um, you know, it, it could be the monitor that you're looking at the picture on, or it could be the, the, the person's uh, color bias. So I don't have that bias. I'm able to look at a picture and tell you instantly, like, it's too yellow, it's too magenta, it's too whatever. And so that kind of helps me. So I can take these I, – I, I made a custom white balance in my camera, and I have um, uh, presets in my Lightroom where I process all my images – to kind of tweak everything to how I want it to be. The nice thing about constantly shooting at the Wells Fargo and at um, the Allentown Arena for the Phantoms is that the lights don't change. So it's nice because I can create these presets, and I know that, like, unless they change the lights in the arena, which they did to us one year without telling us, and we shot – some of the photographers shot our first game. We're just like, this is wrong. Um, <laughs> yeah, that was a nightmare. I was like, what? So I was like, did I – forget how to do everything over the off season they're like oh no we changed the lights i'm like thanks for letting us know jerks um but but yeah it's just my ability i guess to kind of so i can get this like perfectly balanced picture and then i'm just like you know tweaking uh, uh some presets in my lightroom uh things like vibrance and saturation just to kind of uh that's how i see you know that's how i see the pictures and everyone sees color differently but that's just kind of how i see it so um yeah, hopefully that, that answers the question. I, I mean, I think it does, Pete. Uh, yeah, yeah oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Yeah, shout uh, out to JJ, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, Pete, what's our other reader question, huh? Oh, actually, it's um, it's interesting because I think, I think you answered both of them the same one. Oh. Uh, 
So I, so I think what we'll do is I'll, I'll give you the other reader question, and then you could, you know, if there's anything else you want to add, mm-hmm. um, and then we're just going to wrap it up because, like, we could cool. honestly, I know Jay probably feels the same way. I could keep talking for another hour because, yeah. you know, this is interesting. <laughs> but unfortunately, you know, people t- open up their iTunes or whatever and they see two and a half hour podcasts, they're probably uh, yeah. yep. probably yep. going <laughs> to not listen. Okay, so the other one is from uh, Shahrazad. I'm pretty sure I'm pronouncing that right. Uh, it's an Arabian Nights reference. I remember that from my my English degree. Um, so. So the question is, I'm curious how the flash system at different arenas affects how you do your job. So I guess maybe, you know, you already talked about the Wells Fargo. So, like, mm-hmm. how, do you, how do you adjust when you go to different places, I guess? Um, so, yeah, there are flash systems. I actually don't have access to them. I'm shooting all from the available light. The only photographers that have access to the strobes in the building are scene photographers and then sometimes, like, Getty or uh, AP, maybe sometimes USA Today Sports. But, yeah, it's typically, you know, a very restricted access to uh, use the strobes. So I'm just working with what I got. Um, and what I do when I'm, like, when I'm going into an arena I haven't shot at before, I give myself a little extra time before the game starts. I'm going in, I'm making a custom white balance in my camera and then I'm shooting some frames you know hopefully there's players on the ice that helps um, with exposure balance and stuff and then I'm just taking those like test pictures and putting them into Lightroom and then just tweaking stuff with a preset so that way um, when I upload all these pictures all I have to do is just bam hit the preset in Lightroom and then you know the camera works with the Lightroom and then creates a a good balance through there, but that that can be one of the oh gosh, of course there's a car alarm going off. Um, <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> sorry about that. Um, so then it, it that's a big struggle for me. Um, luckily I'm really good at color balancing, like I talked about before, and I can do that with relative ease. It's just when you get to some of the arenas, such as you know ECHL or college or even high school, like local local arenas, those colors can be all over the place because some of them are using those, those gross sodium vapor lights, you know, that have that really nasty either green or magenta hue to them. The problem with those kind of arenas is if they have all of those across the ice, the color balance will change depending on what part of the ice they're on. Like I, well, before they changed the lights in the Reading Royals Arena, it's now called the Santander in Reading, Pennsylvania. Before they changed them recently, on one end of the ice, the pictures would be green. On the other end of the ice, is a yellow or, you know, some other weird hue. And it's just kind of knowing what you're shooting, giving yourself extra time to kind of figure out, like, the, the tweaks that you have to make. Because honestly, like, when I'm shooting these games and I'm editing and uploading during the game. So during intermission, I'm running down. I'm doing my editing. I'm uploading in case readers or, I mean, writers need anything. Then I'm, I'm going and, you know, repeating the process. So you want to kind of set yourself up to make it as easy as possible when you have those, like, 10 minutes to literally process, like, 50 images. Um, so that's just kind of how I do it. I know that for some bigger photographers like Getty or AP, they actually have preset stuff that they're given that they, they – somehow put their card into their camera and it has stuff preloaded on it that's going to already give you your white balance and it's just going to be perfect from the get-go so i i don't have that luxury i do it myself so yeah oh. <laughs> nice well um 
again, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, like I said, you you know when we started doing this podcast, um, you were one of the people on my list of of guests to have because Aww. of you know you know it's the number one. Like I said, I really do like your photography, and it's also you. you know most of the time we talk to people who write about hockey, and mm-hmm. it's really interesting to see you know somebody who experiences the game and documents the game in a different way. Mm-hmm. Um, so making sure that uh, you know making sure that people will will come find you. Like we said before, uh, your website is katefreeze.com and that's F-R-E-S-E. If you yeah. add the word photo, that's that's her Twitter, Twitter handle. Sorry, Twitter. Yeah. Um, and then Instagram is Kate underscore freeze. Right? So all yeah. pretty much yeah. a variation of the same. And honestly, yeah. I think if you just Google the name, you'll probably find mm-hmm. them all. But, you know, yeah. I always like yeah. to try to list them. Yeah, that's the nice thing about having a, a unique kind of last name is I'm easy on a Google search. So it should, it should be the, one of the first things that pops me up. And I have links to my other site and my social medias. If you find one, you can find it all pretty much. So, well, well, thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure, guys, and I can't uh, wait for this to come out on Monday. Absolutely. Yeah, this is really great. And, and if there's one thing that I'm really excited that you kind of touched on indirectly throughout all this, Kate, is watch hockey. Above yeah. all else, watch <laughs> hockey. Best sport ever. No debate. Watch hockey. <laughs> And just when you thought the offseason couldn't be more exciting by the fact that it's ending, uh, a new rule has surfaced. We had our rule discussion before, Peter. It's very uh, – we thought we were done talking about rules. but Exactly, yeah. We, we, yeah, we, we set our piece and we were done. But lo and behold, the NHL is not done yet. Grasping from the abyss, they have but one more rule change for the 2017-2018 season, and it is – if you challenge offsides and you lose that challenge, your team will now be charged with a two-minute penalty. In the in like, geez, like the what the NFL when you challenge something, you lose a timeout. Uh, uh, basketball, you, you can't really challenge anything. Baseball, you have challenges now, but again, you still just lose your ability to challenge again if you lose it. I'll, I mean, this, I think I think this is the most soccer adoption hockey has made, where like, you know, hey, if it, it's called the wrong way, you're, you're going to lose you're going to lose somebody. So um, this will certainly keep coaches on on the tips of their toes. Um, I, again, I'm still very curious as to as to how that information reaches a coach like how quickly like a play is blown offside and like how quickly the video guy can look at it and then come up with a discernible, you know, conclusion of what's supposed to happen. And then the coach can challenge, you know, that's, that's all well and good and stuff. But, you know, I'm, again, we're still talking about refs. We're still talking about a little bit of the gray area with how stuff can be done. So this is, this has now become a high stakes thing. So imagine, Hey, you get scored on and you think that the guy was offside but not only did you just get scored on now, now there's an even greater chance that you're going to get scored on because you lost the challenge and now you're on the on the penalty kill. So, geez, you know, as if hockey wasn't hard enough. <laughs> yeah, i i am I am against this rule change. Um, I am not against them doing something to the rule. I'm not I'm not against them ad- addressing this issue. But I don't think this is the way to go about it. Uh, I don't think this is the way to go about it. For me, I think the problem with the offside challenge last year was on the occasions where it was hard to tell if a player's skate was off the ice. Because I think the biggest thing that they're trying to address, in, in my in my estimation, is they're trying to address 
coaches challenging and then the challenge taking forever and then, you know, destroying the flow of the game. So they're trying to crack down on that. So basically they're they're saying you should only really be challenging if, like, you know, you, you're sure they got it wrong. You know, it's a slam dunk. Um, and you would imagine that that review would, would be quicker. It would, you know, it wouldn't take too long. But – like I said, I think like the biggest thing from my memory was those those ones where the the player's skate was off the ice, or yep. maybe, and they were trying to tell if it was, and it takes forever. So, honestly, for me, if I think I think I would just get rid of the offside challenge, just just throw it out because it's gonna happen every now and then. There's gonna be a bad call. That's how the world works. Um, they they tried to implement this. They tried to address this. Um, I don't think. I don't think this is going to really address the issue that they're trying to do. Like, I think this is the wrong way to go about it. I would just throw out the offside challenge. I would just throw it out because, I don't know, you know, sometimes it got to be ridiculous where it was like, well, a player was offside, you know, two minutes before the goal was scored. You know, and it's just like, you know, every now and then a linesman's going to miss a call, and that's it. That's how it happens. You know, I think, I don't know. I, I, I'm kind of rambling at this point because, like, my <laughs> point is pretty simple. I just think get rid of it. I don't. I don't really like the offside challenge uh, to begin with. So that would be my that would be my solution. I I I am okay with opening up the discussion about trying to to because you again at the end of the day you still don't want to reward guys for not playing by the rules, right? You still want goals mm-hmm. to be scored in the natural fashion in which they're supposed to be, right? So I'm all right, for just that. Hall. <laughs> we, you know what? We're gonna to have to go through all of our episodes at the end of the season and come up with a whole, uh, a, a whole goal in the crease counter. <laughs> like how many times we mentioned it? Because I think that's been our, other than our segment, that's been our one mainstay reference. I'm really excited about that. <laughs> yeah. um, because a ironclad way to prove or not prove offside has yet to be found, I am in favor of not having the challenge. I think, but like I was in, I was, I'm okay with the challenge being in place and having no consequences as big as this happen as well. So I'm, because this, because what this, what this does is it penalizes somebody for trying to get the game right. That's what it feels like. Because it's yeah. just someone raising their hand saying, like, hey, was he on side? And then that's basically the NHL saying, no, and for even asking, you are penalized. It's like, wait, I just want to know if he was on – why am I being punished for this? Right? I mean, it just seems like a really – in. It doesn't, it doesn't feel balanced. Because the idea is that when you're offering, like, infraction on this, there has to be equal risk, or I think at least the, the objective or the goal is to have equal risk on both sides because of it. Because if it goes one way, great. If it goes the other way, great. But, like, it's supposed to just kind of equally affect both sides. But this just seems unfairly mushed on the side of the team that, you know, hey, so, like, what, you're – is this, uh, you know, it's it's the dying seconds of, of, a game, of, a, of, a, of a series deciding game and the team just scored a go-ahead goal and you, you know, you, you want to get this thing to overtime and you want to see if he's offside and by merely asking that – You've now increased the chances of the team going up too, and you uh, uh, and and it's 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 tough. It, it looks yeah. it, it looks to be too much of a burden to even ask now. So I'm I'm very curious as to the frequency of how many people are going to challenge offside now. 
No, unless it's, you know, hey, the guy has to come back with saying, like, he is definitely, I mean, if the idea is that this is supposed to weed out any of those so-so calls that you were talking about with the skate being kind mm. of off the ice, if the idea is you want to eliminate those plays to, going to review, sure, but you're but because you don't have an iron, you don't have a very succinct way to prove offside or not offside, you're basically saying, like, oh, you're telling the teams, hey, because it's too much of a worry of whether or not we're going to get it right, you shouldn't, you shouldn't bring it up. Which doesn't make yeah. sense to me. It, it really should. Yeah, and I'm, like, yeah, go ahead. No, I mean, I, I think there's another way. I think there are other ways to solve the issue. If if the goal is to keep coaches from just kind of abusing this, then I think rather than you know, you know, uh, pu- penalizing the team, you know, punishing the whole team by by making them kill off a penalty. I mean, you can just make it have to be embarrassing for the coach to have to ask this in front of all his players. So, like, maybe he has to start off the request by, you know, saying, Mother, may I? Or <laughs> maybe, maybe he has to ask in the form of a limerick, you know, yeah. so that, you know, that's that's a little tougher. You know, there once was a man from Anaheim, uh, and and then he has to try to work in, you know, who is offside, like, what the hell's wrong with you? How'd you miss that? You know, because yeah. um, I, I think that would be challenging. But... Also, there is one other rule change that I am also against. Uh, so, the, in my in my opinion, the NHL is is zero for two in terms of making these rule changes. So, the the adjustment is that teams are no longer able to call timeout after icing the puck. Right, the other club can still call timeout if they want to, but the the team that has to you know go back down to their end and have a, a, a face off in their zone cannot ice the puck. I think this is really kind of a solution in need of a problem. I don't really think that this is this is something they need to need to need to address because you have one timeout. And as we've seen before, you know, in the challenge system, sometimes the team doesn't even get to call their timeout because of that. You get one timeout in a game. This is something that can happen once. You know, I could understand if there was something where you could kind of abuse this every time, you know, every time you ice it there's something you can do to abuse the system, but you get one timeout. If you want to use it once, like, who cares? It's, it's adding, what, 30 seconds, 45 seconds to a game? I don't really think that this is a problem that needs to be addressed. I think that this is much ado about nothing. I think that they could have just left this one alone and maybe focus on something else more important. What do you think? Um, I know there's been times where I've been annoyed by that, where it's like, if you if you ice it, you should be, you know, and, and, and I guess in, like, high-pressure situations, I mean, the risk is that, like, if you're icing it, it's because you can't get out of the situation. And I I, I think it's at most been an annoyance where it's like, well, geez, they ice the puck, but then they don't get penalized for it. Like, but there's, like, no, like, obviously not penalized, officially penalized, but, like, man, there's no drawback to, like, oh, we can ice the puck, but don't worry, we can also take our time out, so we're fine. It's just, it. You're right. It, it is kind of wishy-washy, but like at the times it has been annoying because you kind of get excited because if you're the team like, ooh, they asked the puck. Oh, they called timeout. I'm not excited anymore. That's pretty much the <laughs> that's pretty much the level of annoyance that this reached. Like it's never made me not want to watch the game. It's never made me not want to watch, not want to be a fan of the game. So, you know, you're right. I think this is it's like a a, a change that needs to have a reason. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. I think I think with with these. Two rules. I mean, I think, geez, I, I, I don't know. I, it'd be really cool if, uh, in in true, uh, because we are living in the age of everything is possible. Um, I would love it for the day before the, the season starts, where they uh, they implement our rule that we talked about, 
hey, by the way, just before the season starts, just want to let everybody know, all infractions will now be majors. So if you're, yeah. if you're on the power play, guess what? You have two minutes of unfettered scoring chances. Best of luck, everybody. We'll see you <laughs> in the playoffs. And then just I heard I heard somebody crazy. else represent. I think it might have been like one of the like the the episodes of Puck Soup uh, since they came back. I think I heard them reference that too. So I'm going to take credit for it, Yay! even though it wasn't my idea. <laughs> um, but yeah. All right. So uh, to close this out, NHL, do better. If you're going to make a rule change, make it matter. Thank you for listening, NHL. You know, Jay, I was trying to think of a clever introduction to this segment, but, you know, I really got nothing, so let's just hear the awesome song. Yes, that's right. It's time for another edition of Puck Tales. If you are a a person who's good at pattern recognition, you will notice that we have been alternating. And since I went last time, it is Jay's turn this time. So sit back, grab a beverage of your choice, and listen uh, by your fireplace if you have one. That would be the best atmosphere to listen to this. Now, if you're driving in your car, that might be a little tough. I'm pretty sure that that's illegal in all 50 states. Um plus all the U.S. territories, or probably in Canada, too, although eh, you never know. So sit back, relax, and listen to Jay regale you with a tale, which is the secret story, the secret story about why Temu Solani was able to score 76 goals in a season. Folks, uh, I don't know about you, but 1992-93 uh, was a very exciting time for the world, uh, Jurassic Park and uh, Terminator 2 were, were, were on screens. Uh, one of the greater decades that our capitalist society has uh, ever had uh, was was still very young. Uh, the the penguins were uh, in the midst of being a very good, but then were also uh, close to going back to being very bad. So things were looking up. But as with all exciting moments in hockey history, there's there's a bit of majesty, a bit of mythology, a bit of magic behind them actually happening. You know, one thinks to Bobby Orr and uh, his famous mid-air goal celebration, which was, in fact, him actually uh, mis- uh, letting his superpowers show uh, for a little bit because he actually is able to fly. I don't this, I'm letting the cat out of the bag of this one, but Bobby Orr was able to fly for all of his life, and he actually had to keep himself grounded. So that was the one time he let everybody see that he could fly. But uh, it, 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 there Moments in hockey history that stand out to me are like the ones where all these awesome records are set, and I, I, I look to my favorite uh, record-setting moment, and that is uh, Tamu Solani uh, scoring his 76 goals in in his rookie season, uh, just completely obliterating uh, the, the the rookie scoring record at the time. But most people were wondering uh, why and how. Well, we, we have to go back to where Solani was born. He's uh, from Helsinki, Finland. And um, given the geographical location of Finland, um, there's a lot of uh, Arctic uh, magnetic storms that kind of follow over the, uh, the snowy landscape of Finland. And, uh, well, uh, Solani being the, uh, the, the hopeful and, and, and ambitious uh, hockey player that he was, was trying to find his edge. How was he going to be uh, uh, better than the rest? And 
Uh, he was out uh, skating at night, much like Gordon Bombay, all alone on the rink in his local Helsinki, Finland rink. And uh, he looked up at the sky and he saw the northern lights and was thinking, you know, I wonder, I wonder how that works. You know, I wonder how that, that looks. And then all of a sudden there's a bright flash of, of red and gold light that flashed in front of his eyes. And he felt a, an extreme surge of, of pain, but also uh, uh, strength and, 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 like, endurance. And, and he looked down, and he noticed that uh, his, 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 his entire body was almost uh, charred, uh, but his, he, he was healing uh, rapidly. And, and he looked around, and, and he saw that he, everything in his body was, was completely gone, except for his skates, which were just kind of, like, simmering in, in, in moonlight. And he was like, man, I, that was, that was, what was that? And he, and he goes to stand up, and he went to skate off. But, like, that scene in uh, National Lampoon's Vacation when Clark puts all of the, the, the WD-40 on the steel saucer, and it just goes down the hill, like that, like that light trail. It's like speed of light. That was Solani skating across the ice. So he's, oh, what's this? So, folks, I'm here to tell you. The Speed Force, which is very big in, in DC Comics, um, it's real. And Teemu Solani found a way to tap into it. I don't know if it was just because with childlike ambition he was able to look at the Helsinki, Finland, Northern Lights and uh, tap into it somehow, but he figured out how to uh, uh, use the Speed Force as much as he could. Uh, we all know that the Speed Force is, is it's almost like a, a, a recreational drug. You know, The more you use it, uh, the more harm it can do. So he kind of had to use it in spurts. So he, he, he made a name for himself playing for, for Joker in, uh, in Helsinki, which is like the big, one of the big historic all-time junior squads in, uh, in Finland. And um, he, 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 he raised some heads there. Now, the idea is, to, you know, think back to The Incredibles. You want to win, but you don't want to win, like, too crazily because then people are going to get really suspicious of your stuff. So he was pretty fast, and, and, and everything was, was, was on, its, on its way up. So he was in the 88 entry draft. And he uh, was selected by the Jets. Uh, and, and so a couple of years pass, and he's brought over, and, 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 and now it's 1992-93, and, and, and the world was waiting for something. Like the Berlin Wall had already fallen. You know, uh, uh, the, the Penguins had already won a cup, and, the, you know, we're, we're, we're about to get, uh, you know, no more Bush era uh, politic crap. So what, what, what was going to balance the scales in terms of sheer joy? Well, Folks, I got to tell you, the 92-93 uh, Solani scoring record is completely and utterly ridiculous. Uh, with the use of the Speed Force, he was able to score uh, not only uh, <laughs> he broke Mike Bossy's record on March 2nd by scoring his uh, uh, 53rd and 54th goals. So he, he he broke everything all in that one day, and you'd think that okay, that's March. And he scored, and he's got 54 goals. But Solani, being the, uh, the the addict to the speed force that he is, said, no, no, no. We have to go deeper. <laughs> he would go on to score 76 goals and finish with 132 points. And what was weird is that was, like, according to the record books, that was tied in, 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 with other people. But the idea here, folks, is that Solani did all this in his first year. This is his first year, and he was able to do all of that while tapping into an imaginary comic book speed force 
I mean, the Finnish really haven't figured it out. I mean, the Finns fought the Russians, and that's why the fire engines are red, because they're always Russian. And and, and, and Solani was able to really uh, cement himself as, uh, uh, as, as the pre preeminent speed. Uh, now, granted, you know, some people knew what was going on, because we all know Pavel Bure, he also tapped into the speed force. Sergei Federal was like he kind of he kind of experimented with the speed force a little bit, but he didn't he didn't he didn't go full. He speed. like dallied in it. Yeah, kind of dallied in it, kind of kind of uh, uh, dabbled, doozy like, as, as it I were. I can quit any time I want. Yeah, yeah, he's yeah he was totally in control all the time, um, and uh, you know uh, there there were some older players that were able to use the speed force a, a little bit. Uh, Bobby Hole was one of them. Uh, I remember Guy Lafleur actually had uh, a little bit of, uh, of of jump in his step. So the the speed force has been a crucial component in making the NHL competitive. And um, we, I, I mean, I, I know you probably thought like conditioning, being raised on 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 good wholesome Helsinki Finland values, uh, is the reason why Solani was great. But no, he uh, he got ahead by uh, tapping into uh, the. The thing that we all want and love most, and that's speed, baby. Pure, unadulterated speed. And to quote Jeremy Clarkson, speed gives you power. So <laughs> now you know the real reason Solani was able to score is 76 goals in 92-93. Wow. Now, now, what if at the end of what if at the end of the day the speed force was really inside all of us all along? Whoa. And that's another puck tale. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so thanks, thank you so much for listening to another episode of For Sure. This is episode six. Because we do it every two weeks, it feels like we've been doing this forever, but it's really only episode six. As always, make sure to follow us on Twitter. I am at P. Flynn Hockey. Uh, Jay is at TheRoar underscore 24. And you can follow the uh, you can follow the podcast at at 200FootPod, 200FTPOD. So... All that is left for this episode is for Jay to take us out with another docism. Well, I got to tell you, Pete, this is a pretty action-packed episode this week. We talked some some uh, uh, crucial changes to NHL rules. We talked about their new principles, and 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 we talked about George Peros growing his awesome handlebar mustache to hand down uh, player punishment. And we got to talk to Kate Freese, who is now uh, unequivocally the coolest photographer working in the NHL today and all time. So mm. to, to, to really sum up this, to really sum up this week, uh, we really won time this one. Ooh, yeah. We, 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 we really did. You know, and a pass to the point, one time he scores! <laughs> Why? A one-timer! For sure. 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 For sure.